Hey, Alabaster Jar listeners, it's Lynn here. Before we get into our episode today, I wanted to let you know about an opportunity. You've probably experienced, if you've listened to our podcast, we try and piece together a picture of women in the biblical world and in the early church. And on our podcast, we often just scratch the surface. That's why I'm teaching women in the early church, a course here at Northern. It's one of the highlights of my job, and I'd love for you to consider joining me. That's right. On Tuesday, August 30th, from 10 a.m. to noon Central Time, the admissions team at Northern is hosting what we call a Taste of Northern. It's an opportunity for you to get a taste of what it's like to be in a seminary class. So I hope you'll join me. I know it can feel intimidating to think about formally pursuing an education. That's why we wanted to just show you what it's like to give you a taste of how Northern and seminary could fit into your life. So sign up today at seminary.edu backslash taste. Again, that's seminary.edu backslash taste. And I'd love to get to see you in class on August 30th from 10 a.m. to noon Central Time. Okay, now let's get to our conversation in the Alabaster Jar. Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast for Northern Seminary. Today, our hosts, Dr. Lynn Coick and Tracy Bianchi, are joined by Reverend Lisa Johnson, Executive Director of Leadership Formation for ECO Presbyterian, a movement of churches that seeks to saturate our world with the transforming power of Jesus Christ while being reformed, evangelical, and egalitarian. Lisa grew up in Orange County, California, and received her BA in Communication Studies at Westmont College. She received her Master's of Divinity at Princeton Seminary, and she was ordained in 1999. She has ministered at five different churches in New Jersey, Santa Barbara, Orange County, and San Diego as an associate pastor. She has a passion for teaching, discipleship, leadership development, and spiritual formation. Most recently, Lisa was the director of Elder Leadership Institute. She currently lives in Coronado, California, with her husband and two teenage children. Welcome, Lisa. We are so excited that you're joining us on Alabaster Jar. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. You are so welcome. I am honored to be here amongst this community and all of the fellowship and learning you guys do. I very much admire your podcast and listen to it. So thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, Tracy and I will have some questions about your thoughts on leadership, because you certainly have a lot of experience uh, in that. Lisa, we met a couple of months ago um, in Phoenix. You're not from Phoenix. I'm not in Phoenix, although at that time, that was in February. I live in Chicago. I was really happy to be in Phoenix and uh, visiting with you. And that's how I got to learn a little bit about your role. You started actually a new role in January, the executive director of leadership formation for, is it ECO? Is that e the? ECO's the way we say it, yes. Okay, ECO, yep. 
a uh, group of churches, Presbyterian uh, churches. Your title contains some pretty important, but I would say also kind of complicated or complex or uh, varied terms, that is uh, leadership and formation. Could you talk a little bit about what leadership means to you? Sure. And there's a funny story about my title, too, because we were trying to distill down the breadth of the title. And so what we really wanted it to be was executive director of leadership development and spiritual formation. And we were like, that's way too long. It's a huge mouthful. And so you're wise to ask that question because we're taking leadership development and spiritual formation and putting them together. Um, but in response to your question, what does leadership mean to me? For me, a leader is anyone who has influence in the lives of others, for better or for worse. And if we're being specific, Christian leaders are those who have spiritual influence over the lives of others, and they help direct people towards God's purpose for their life or for their church. Uh, so leadership development to me means helping people who have some fledgling gift for leadership to become the leader really that God desires them to be. And in ECO, we have 10 core leadership competencies and four desired outcomes that we group those competencies under. And so we're always looking to develop no two leaders are going to look the same, but right, there's some competencies and areas we'd like to see them healthy in. And so our four desired outcomes are that we would like every leader to be spiritually and emotionally healthy. We would like them to be skilled in leadership, proficient in ministry, and integrated biblically and theologically. And so we seek to develop leaders with those outcomes. Oh yeah, that's great. And I loved uh, your comment about the leader directing people towards God. As I find often what we see, at least in the news or what makes the news is a very self-centered leadership. And maybe that comes to then a second question that I had, which you sort of answered, but I'd love for you to develop. And that is, what about formation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Another good, I mean, those words get thrown around a lot. And so what does spiritual formation mean? Um, and really, for me, it means being formed into the image of Christ for the glory of God and for the sake of others, which really touches on what you just said. A leader, a Christian leader who is well formed in leadership and their own spiritual life um, is continually um, a lifelong learner being conformed to the image of Christ for the glory of God and for the sake of others. And we know that we are all constantly being formed and conformed by the world around us. So spiritual formation seeks to care for the soul and look at what practices and rhythms of life we have that are shaping us, right? We're really intentionally looking at that to say, how are we being formed every day? 
And I want to have a say in who is forming me and how I'm being formed. Um, yeah, I, um, I love this conversation on formation and leadership because, and, and, and specifically having it, Lisa, with you uh, is, a, is a fun moment for me because I, I, I actually hold my ordination credentials with ECO and um, have a great respect and uh, love for the uh, denomination, the organization. And I know, you know, as pastors, we have these moments where people say, well, you are the pastors, therefore you are the leaders. And I know your heart in formation and in leadership uh, doesn't just hold leadership for pastors. So, you know, everybody's a leader. Like you said, it's anyone who has influence, spiritual influence over another person or a group of people or a team or something like that. So, you know, a lot of folks who listen to this podcast may be in professional ministry. A lot of them might not be. And so could you just speak a little bit to the nuances between like pastoral leadership and lay leadership and maybe what sort of leadership encouragement you would offer in that um, in that in between space between those two realities yes uh, as you said um, you know in our reform tradition presbyterians are reformed and in the reform tradition we firmly believe in the priesthood of all believers right every disciple of christ is called to make other disciples and so even though we distinguish between the people in the pew and the person in the pulpit, really there is no difference in call on their life in terms of what we are to do to be conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And so each of us, whether we're serving in volunteer, lay, ordained, or professional ministry, has been created and gifted and wired in different ways to bring you know the good news of the kingdom wherever we're at whether that's in the marketplace uh in the preschool the school the church staff or as the ordained person so in eco we really say everyone is called and everyone is gifted for people in the pulpit or in pastoral leadership there is a higher standard of education and some of the competencies, but all of the competencies and the call of God is the same for lay or ordained people. That's, that's where, you know, where our reformed heritage calls us to believe. I love, I love that distinction, the pew in the pulpit. And I think sometimes from the pulpit, one of our greatest desires is to get the people in the pew to actually live into their the leadership that they've been called to. And I would say that's what excites me the most um, about what the church is called to do is right. So, so much of the time, I think the church spends time trying to get people into the building and into their programs and volunteering and spending a lot of time on campus, I really think the church is called to equip every single person for their sphere of ministry. And so whatever that looks like, we spend most of our time, we spend 95% of our time not in a church building. So leadership development is really about developing people 
to be on mission where they spend 95% of their time. And that's, I think that's the task of the church. We've been talking about leadership and a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, teaching an intensive and um, with a, with a group of students who were also learning leadership. I was just doing the Bible part, so I need to qualify. You know, I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about, but they did ask me the question, is everyone a leader? And I said, no, which wasn't apparently the right answer actually. <laughs> so then I just said, well, I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, just, I live in the first century. Um, but I, I guess what I was, thinking about is what might I, I I was answering honestly in that I I sometimes recognize I'm not leading in this situation there is somebody else like I'm not a leader here so uh why was my answer wrong if it was wrong <laughs> why is everyone a leader or do you think no actually not everyone is a leader like how, how do you kind of unpack this concept of well i don't think you were wrong i actually okay. agree with you okay so i think that every leader needs to be a disciple but not every disciple is called to be a leader so all if we're following Christ, we are all disciples and we are all called to make disciples or make new disciples or, you know, come alongside people, which you could say is leading people to Christ, right? So that's where that comes in. But I think a call to leadership, a leader is called and gifted to oversee multiple disciple makers, groups of people. So I understand as a disciple, I am called to make disciples and try to lead others to Christ. But to me, leadership is leading groups of people. And I don't think that everyone is called or gifted to do that. Yeah, well, and, and I think that's how I was understanding leadership in that way. Um, and, and I think the the group I was uh, talking with had a, a somewhat different definition, similar to what you were saying about just being influencing or um, living out responsibilities, which you point out all disciples, yeah, all disciples have. And as we said, everyone, you know, leadership is people who have influence over the lives of others, right? So we know we all have that even in a small way. But in terms of what we mean in our context and leadership development, we don't think that every single disciple, every person in the pew is called to lead groups of others. We think that that is probably a, a calling and a special set of gifts that not every disciple happens to have. Okay, so then how about this one? <laughs> Here we are, we're women on a call together. You are an executive level leader at a Presbyterian denomination. Lynn's question that she received, you know, is everyone a leader? There are many people who would say, no, 
because you are a woman. And therefore, there's this whole set of places you are excluded from leading just because you are female. Obviously, Eco doesn't believe that. They, they celebrate your leadership. But can you talk to us a little bit about being a woman in leadership? And I don't know if you have a story you want to contribute to that or anything, but you know, tell us for a, for a little bit what, what your leadership journey has been like as a woman. Yes, um, that's a great, another great question. I was raised in the Presbyterian church, and so I was raised in an egalitarian context. And I was raised in a church where I saw a female pastor and knew in my imagination that that was possible. And so when God started giving me the inner call of the Holy Spirit when I was in college about being called to ordained ministry, I had the luxury of knowing in my context that that was okay and that was a possibility for me. And I had the outer call of the church. I had people affirming me and saying, Lisa, we think you have the gifts for this. We see this in you. We see that we confirm what the Holy Spirit is saying to you inside. Um, and so the reality of even belonging to a denomination that is decidedly egalitarian and the gap between how well we can live that out with the sin in the world and the divide that exists between male and female are, you know, two different things. So I had to really come to terms with being confronted, you know, um, by men, and it continues to happen with me who, where I'm challenged theologically or vocationally, um, that I'm not allowed to do what <laughs> I am doing and been called and gifted by God to do. And so, um, along the way that's been a little bit of a bumpy road and it continues to be a challenge in different ways um in my executive director position um for eco we're 10 years old and we're decidedly egalitarian um but i'm really proud to be the first female executive and so i'm one of four and you know there's a there's a saying that when women are an only or an, an exception, um, it, we still have a ways to go. That women don't always feel fully comfortable to be themselves when they are the only or the exception. And so one of the ways I see I want my denomination to grow and other egalitarian denominations to grow and complementarian as well would be um to say you know that in order for women to feel fully comfortable and affirmed in their calling and to be who they are they uh studies show that you need to reach this like 30 percent rule that there needs to be 30 percent of a women around a table on a committee um on a staff whatever it is before women feel fully comfortable. And I think that is a great goal for organizations that are seeking to have men and women um, be in ministry together and be a full reflection of the kingdom. I think that's something we could be really intentional about. That's when culture change, they say, starts to happen. When 
at least 30% of women are working alongside men. And as women in ministry, we don't often have that luxury. So sometimes it can be um, a little off-putting and a little bit of an uphill battle. Yeah, I, I love that 30%. I've, I'd not heard that before. And I, I just wrote that down. It's a great goal to shoot for. I find women indeed are often the only. And so that kind of tips into another question I have is, you know, there are a lot of organizations that have in some way come around and said, okay, we now affirm women in leadership, or we have women on the preaching team, or, you know, we have added a woman on this department that used to be predominantly male. And then a couple of things happen. One, they, they kind of check that box. Okay, we did it, you know. And two, sometimes it, it doesn't go well. And at that point, it kind of becomes this question, well, were they not supposed to be in leadership after all? And that's sometimes the question that happens when the reality is, no, there are a variety of other factors at play in, in the culture of an organization or whatnot. So I wonder if you could speak to kind of that second half of it. Um, and you kind of tipped into it a little bit, but when women are affirmed in leadership, when organizations do welcome them in, what are some of the other barriers that happen that prevent women sometimes from succeeding in those organizations or thriving in those organizations? Yes. I want to make sure too and give a resource. Um, some of that, the 30% thing comes from a book um, by Daniel Strickland called Better Together, which is really wonderful. The two books that I would recommend on this subject are Better, uh, it's, where are mine? Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. And then Together in Ministry by Rob Dixon, Women and Men in Flourishing Partnerships. And so um, some of these ideas are things that I have learned from them and, and my own experience. Um, but yes, uh, barriers that women face when they're welcome into an organization as an only or as an exception or when they're the five percent or whatever it is i would say that the women that i work with and i'm encouraging and mentoring one of the things i would say we've already touched on is being confident in their gifting and calling right that's hard to do when it's a um, culture dominated by women or a, I mean, dominated by men. Um, I would say also not being considered for lead roles and even in an egalitarian denomination, right? There's a difference between holding a belief and living it out. And we have a long way to go, right? If egalitarian means equal, right? Before women and men are in lead roles in an equal way. So I think sometimes a church doesn't have the imagination, even if they hold the belief to picture a woman in a lead role because they've never seen that. And so we work really hard with our pastor nominating committees to try to push that, to say, we would love for you to consider this really gifted woman and interview her instead of saying, oh, our church isn't ready for that. I don't think we could do that. 
So let's, you know, expand our gospel imagination together and consider a lot of women are frustrated that they are gifted and ready and the roles aren't there for them. And then I would say balancing motherhood and ministry. And that's one that's really personal to me uh, because when I originally felt called to ministry, I remember saying, okay, God, I know you've called me to be a mom and a wife, and I know you've called me to be a pastor. You're going to have to help me figure this out along the way because I don't know what exactly that's going to look like. And so I see a lot of women, and those both of those calls are so beautiful, right? And And so celebrated by God. And so... But if we're honest, it's really hard to do that and live that out. And the church has a while to wrestle, I think, with celebrating both calls equally. And I had a really painful experience in my first call, my first ordained call, um, where I got pregnant with our first child and um, was working with the church that after maternity leave i wanted to come back and work in a part-time capacity so that i could be mother and pastor and i really met with a rigid stance of saying you know what i'm sorry it's either uh, full-time or no time after maternity leave and that was devastating to me in in you know in an egalitarian denomination, not to have the church of all places celebrate these two beautiful calls and say, we want to work that out with you. And so I ended the call at this particular place. And then God gave me another beautiful Presbyterian church who said, we love that you're a mom and a pastor. And we would love to have you part time so that you could be home and care for your child and we could celebrate and get the benefit of you being a mom in ministry. So it was healed and it was a long journey and a painful one, but I do think that's one that men don't have to face that decision very often. And so it's very unique to women. And I think we need to talk about it more and be honest about that that's a struggle. Yeah, the the dynamics that women have, because, you know, even if we have families where the, you know, both spouses are working, women seem to fall in the role of what I know is often called the lead parent, you know, and that that's true for me. And it was interesting. One of the things our church shifted that helped all of the women on staff who were moms was we used to have staff meetings that started within 10 minutes of the time the local school started. And the person who, you know, ran those staff meetings, didn't have school-aged children, never occurred to him. And women were often late to those meetings or missing those meetings. And our leadership was suffering as a result. And a simple shift of a meeting start by 45 minutes. We didn't even change it by an hour, but it allowed every mom in the building to drop kids off and get to the meeting. And something as simple as that changed the dynamic significantly. So sometimes it just takes what time you have a meeting <laughs> to yes. open the door for a woman that may have been right so important and so important for organizations to be asking women hey we value you in ministry and we realize that you have more home responsibilities and we want you here what can we do you know to make that easier for you and 
it's hard because it makes structures have to be flexible in ways that they're not used to being flexible or they've done things a certain way for a really long time. But I promise you the trade-off is worth it, right? If you have women fully living into their gifting and calling, then the whole church is better, right? The whole church is better for it. Absolutely. Well, and I think in conversations like this too, it's very easy to you know, because we, we, we struggle with things, it's very easy to kind of, okay, this is what's hard. This is what's hard. This is what's hard. So I always want to ask the question too, what do you think the church is getting right? You know, have you seen any recent, you know, celebrations or a, an example of just a place where women are flourishing and thriving and a place where this is getting, going right? Yes, that's a great, great thing to reflect on. There is a, there is so much to celebrate. And as, as messy as it can be for men and women to work side by side and listen to each other and work through some of the divides and some of the awkward conversations that are there, um, it's, it's really important uh, to do anyway. And so I think One of my greatest joys, I oversee our ordination process, and one of my greatest joys is to see, and we're seeing um, about 40% of our ordination applicants now be women. And so that's really, really exciting. And so when I get to be a part of a woman sensing, owning, and pursuing God's call on her life, Um, whether that be to lay or pastoral ministry, seeing a woman embrace who God has called her to be and helping her to develop those gifts and confidences, that to me is a joy. And I've gotten to walk with many um, pastoral candidates um, side by side with them. And for me, it's like watching this shy rosebud slowly open up and reveal its full beauty and glory. And then watching the kingdom benefit from her full flowering. I mean, it's literally divine to be a part of that. And I was thinking recently, um, we start and end our ordination process with a retreat, um, which is focused on spiritual formation and leadership development and really knowing each candidate individually. And so as a part of those retreats, there are interviews. And so there are usually two assessors and one candidate. And I was thinking recently of this one candidate, female candidate who had come from a background that didn't allow women um, to be in ministry and have authority over men, but she somehow miraculously had sensed her calling lived into it, stepped out of her context into uh, a new context. And I was interviewing her with a male colleague, a male pastor. And at the end of the interview, uh, my colleague paused and just said to her name, said, I want to affirm in you your calling and your gifting I would be so honored someday if I could sit under your leadership and you could be my pastor. And he went on and on to be specific about her callings and her gifting. 
And that was such, I have Holy Spirit chills right now talking about it. It was such a pivotal moment um, for this candidate. She burst into tears and just felt so seen and known. She had been through so much pain and joy to get to that moment. And it was so impactful for a man to see her and say, I see in you what you see in yourself and I would love to sit under your leadership. And so being a part of moments like that where the divide is healed and where women are fully able to be encouraged into who God has created them to be, the church is getting that right more than we talk about. And there are amazing emerging women in leadership who are gonna do amazing things for this kingdom that I get to walk alongside every day. And I could you know, tell you story after story about that, but that's just one that comes to mind. Oh, that, and those are so, that's beautiful. That is, you, you know, you mentioned at the uh, beginning of our conversation, how you had the luxury of seeing women leading in the church. It's kind of modeling that for you. And then this last example of someone who didn't see that for our, listeners who um, might not, well, are wrestling right now, whatever context they're in, they're kind of wrestling right now with, am I really being nudged to leadership? Is, is this God talking or not? What, what kind of encouragement or uh, methods of discernment might you offer to these women who are, who are in the discerning stage or just thinking about you know, some of them may not have even ever thought, what, me? Could this be me? How, how would you talk with them? Yes, I think back to my own beginning of my own call. And somewhere early on, I learned or someone taught me that there are really two parts to a call. And I've already mentioned this, the inner call of the Holy Spirit and the outer call of the church. And so to any woman wrestling with her call and her gifting, I would say spend time refining your call, spend time listening to that inner voice of God, the inner call of the Holy Spirit, what is stirring among you, what makes you feel alive, what makes you feel like you are in the right place where God wants you to be, right? There's an energy and a passion and an aliveness that happens. And then spend some time paying attention to the outer call of the church. And by that, I don't just mean the church, but people around you who really know you. Um, and ask them, what gifts do you see in me? And allow people who you really know and trust to speak into you so that you can refine your own sense of call and begin to have a sense of what, of what that might be about. So that's the first thing I would say. And then going along with that, I'd say find people, places, and spaces where that call to leadership can be affirmed and encouraged and where you can be challenged to grow. I don't mean just places that say, you're great, go for it, you know, uh, you're perfect as you are. 
because uh, we all have places to grow and we all have leadership competencies to grow in an awareness, spiritual and emotional, biblical awareness that we need to grow in. Um, and for some people, that might mean stepping outside your context. If you're feeling an inner call of the Holy Spirit that doesn't resonate with your context, you might need to step outside your context and people who know you well or reach out to people and say, I'm really struggling with this call. Could we talk about this? Could we wrestle with this? Um, and maybe you know people outside your context, or if you don't, I, I would be glad to be a reference for that to help you with that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, and I think the Center for Women in Leadership at, at Northern Seminary is certainly a place where we try to help women with uh, with that, uh, with mentoring, just providing a conversation space. I'll let Tracy fill that out a little bit more. But yeah, that uh, you're so right that it we're not just individuals, we're not just islands. It, we really need to uh, be intentional about a community. Yes, and you guys do a great job of that. I'm so thankful for what you do and your ministry. And it's been a gift to me to discover who you guys are and what you do. Yeah, we've had a, a tremendous year just building this community. We found that, you know, some women do have colleagues and friends to have these conversations with and others feel very isolated because to what your earlier point, some of them are the only or one of two maybe in a, in a multi-tiered, you know, large organization. And so to have a space to have that conversation. Another thing that we found was that women often get together with other women and talk about how hard it is to be a woman. And then all that pent up energy, they come back and try to translate to their male peers. <laughs> and so we've tried to engage men in the conversation along the way. We actually, the Rob Dixon book you refer to, we, uh, we were able to feature him on a webinar. Uh, and if people want to go find it, they can. It's, it's free. You can watch the, the archived webinar um, off of our website. But um, guys like him, who really know how to have the conversation and support um, the, the process that guys go through too, to try to figure out how to be a good colleague to women. So anyway, I could go on for days about that and that's not what this is about, but <laughs> community is everything. And, and we've had a great time building community this year with the, with the center. So, And I do really quickly, I think you bring up a really important point. When I think about the barriers that women are facing in ministry or in a um, church context, I think you really hit on something to address them. We need to invite men into the conversation and into the solution. I have been a part of a lot of those groups that you said where we get together and we're really honest and we have decided that we're not going to do that anymore without men being in the room, right? They need to be invited to the conversation, to be a part of the solution that it, it is not just a woman problem. Right, it is a kingdom of God, whole community problem that we all need to tackle together. Oh, and that is, that's a great ending. I would say, amen, preach it, right? That is so awesome. That's right, that's right. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa, for your words of wisdom and your encouragement. I mean, you know, laying it out truthfully, but also being an encouragement. I just really appreciate you coming to talk with us on the Alabaster Jar. You are so welcome. And I equally appreciate you guys. 
You've been listening to another episode of the Alabaster Jar. If you enjoyed today's conversation with Reverend Lisa Johnson, be sure to share it with a friend and subscribe so that you'll be notified when we upload new episodes every Tuesday. We've placed a link in today's episode description to our recent webinar through the Center for Women in Leadership with Rob Dixon, the author of Together in Ministry, along with his colleague and friend, Layla Van Gerpen. So you can go check that out and join us back here next week for another episode of the Alabaster Jar.